Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning, and I'm glad to be here. And we are going to start this morning with a Bible promise. And I'll have the verses up here on the screen and all the reference, you know, Bible references, so I may not say that, but you know where you can, where it is, you can write it down. Okay, the first one this morning from John. I have given them, in other words, that's the disciples, that's us, that's everybody. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You know, God's word changes us. It's a promise that when anyone accepts Jesus and his word, the world is going to hate them because the world hated Jesus too. The Bible informs us what about Satan is doing and what his followers are doing. And those folks are angry at God and his followers and they hate them. Well, a lot of people think the Bible is just irrelevant. But they can't help being upset. Jesus wasn't of this world. The reason he was despised and rejected is his mind was elsewhere. Where do you think his mind was? What was it on? Heaven. Heaven, Heaven, exactly. And we should keep our minds focused um, on heaven too, not on this world. It's interesting how many Bible texts reference this world as not being our home. Our mind needs to be on the world to come or we're going to be really miserable. If you really think about it, the only reason many people are upset, and they're upset also with the news media and what they hear, is because this world is their only home, and if you haven't noticed, it's falling apart. I mean, things are not going well here. Now, in John 17, 15, Jesus prays to the Father and says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. He wants us not to leave this world, but just not be part of Satan and not be part of the evil things that are going on. And he also tells us, These things have I spoken unto you that you might have peace, because in this world you will have tribulation. Now that's another promise of God. Isn't it interesting? We like to claim God's promises. But I bet you never claimed that one. Did you ever wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I look forward to today because you're going to give me tr- problems, tribulation? Uh, no, I don't think any of, you, any of us have done that. But it is a promise, and we know we're going to have problems here. But the good news is that verse ends with, be of what? Good cheer. Good cheer. I have overcome the world. Once we become a Christian, our problems don't stop. We just trade one set of problems for another set of problems. But still, becoming a Christian is the best trade that you could ever do. Now, Jesus gives us our instructions, our marching orders, and he says, if you are risen with Christ, that means if you're baptized and you rise up with Christ, think on those things that are what? Above, right. Okay, we need to forget about the things of the world and think on heavenly things. Because one day, we're going to have to walk away from all this. Think about that. So don't get too attached to what's down here if you're wanting to be up there. Because we're going to leave it one day. Now sure, we have to work. You want to be a little successful. God isn't saying that's bad because he tells us we need to take care of our families. Uh, We need to help the church. We need to help other people. And so you have to have a job and you have to work. That's what we're called to do while we're here. But that's not where we should put our first attention and our love. 
Our affection should be on God and what's above, what's to come. And I'm going to tell you a story from a few years ago. There was a woman who had been diagnosed with cancer and had been given just a short time to live, and the doctor told her that she needed to make all her final preparations. So she contacted her pastor and asked him to come to her house and discuss her funeral plans. So she told him which song she wanted sung at the service, what scripture verses she would like for him to read, and what she was going to be wearing, and she said she wanted to be buried with her favorite Bible. That was great. Everything was in order, and the pastor was getting ready to leave, and she said, oh, oh, wait, 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 I got one more thing. And he said, what's that? And she said, this is very important. I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. And the pastor looked at her, and he didn't quite know what to say. And she says, you're shocked, aren't you? He says, well, I am a little bit puzzled. So she explained, in all my years of attending church and church socials and functions where they serve food, my favorite part was when they came around and cleared the dishes after the main course. And the one who did that would come over your shoulder and say, keep your fork because something better's coming. And she said, oh, I always loved that. I knew something substantial was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie. And she said, I just so looked forward to that. And she said, I just want people to see me there in that casket with a fork in my hand. And I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? And then I want you to tell them something better's coming. So keep your fork, too. The pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy, and he hugged the woman goodbye. He knew that was probably the last time he would see her before she was dead. But he also knew she had a good grasp on heaven. And so at the funeral, people were walking around right before it started looking at the casket, and they saw her dress and the Bible, and then they saw that fork in her hand. And over and over, he heard people say, what's with the fork? You know, but he just smiled. During the message, the pastor told the people in the congregation that he had spoken with her shortly before he died, and he told them about the fork and what it symbolized to her. So um, the pastor said he couldn't stop thinking about the fork and told them that they probably wouldn't be able to stop thinking about it either, and he was right. So the next time you reach down for your fork, let it remind you gently that something better is coming. Now, we have a lot of biblical examples of people who believed or maybe didn't believe that something better is coming. Okay, Abraham was a good example. He showed by his actions this world is not his home, and he was looking for something better. He was well off in Ur of the Chaldees, which is Babylon, but God called him to walk away, maybe have nothing. He was willing, and he did, and God blessed him abundantly. He amassed great wealth. He was like a a city-state with him and his household and all his servants and everybody was with them. But he never made being rich his goal or who he was. And you could tell that. Remember when he and Lot had to split up? And he said, Lot, you pick whatever land you want. And Lot did. He chose the best, most fertile land right around Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham took what was left, the mountain area. Why? Because his goal was on God and what's to come. And we need to realize that what's happening, anything that's happening down here is okay. Whatever's happening now, it's going to be all right. We can handle it if our focus is on heaven and what's to come.
Well, Lot didn't make good, very good choices, and neither did his wife. Okay, remember in Genesis, the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. He overthrew those cities, all the plain, and the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground? But Lot's wife looked back behind him, and she became a what? A pillar of salt. She didn't want to give up what she had. She liked her good life, her house, her riches, her family, the influence they had around, their friends. But in the end, she lost it all, everything, and eternal life. Okay, now think about Daniel and his three friends. They had their thoughts on the hereafter, especially when you think about uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. And in Romans we read, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, totally acceptable to God, and be not conformed to this world. Well, what does that mean? The world has a way of doing things, doesn't it? And it seems to want everybody to conform to that mindset. And when we talk with others, we usually converse about what's going on in the world. Even when we talk to other Christians, we want to conform because we don't want to look funny. We don't want to stand out. But we may be doing that ignorantly, too, because that's all we've known. And the next verse says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I love that it says, don't conform to this world, because Jesus wants us to conform to the world to come. Because if you live your life for the world to come, one day you're going to be in heaven in that world to come. And we know that everybody there is going to conform to God's will, to God's laws, but it's certainly not that way while we're down here. And if we look back in the Old Testament, the Israelites generally weren't doing what God asked. They wanted to conform to this world. They wanted to, be, wanted to have a king. They wanted to do things like everybody else. They were supposed to be an example to the rest of the world what a follower of the living God was. And we need to conform to what God wants us to be so that we can be a blessing and example to the rest of the world. We need to live in such a way as others will say, oh, that's what it's like to live for God. But that doesn't often make you popular. Now, in James, it says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Well, who are they? Those people are not faithful to their spouse because friendship with this world is not friendship with God. So if we say we're a Christian and we don't truly follow or honor God with our lives, then we're like those who are not faithful to their spouses. Then the verse continues, know, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. That's pretty harsh language. But this world demands our attention and total commitment now. Many in the Bible and now place their focus on the here and now and not on the world to come. But you can be on that side or you can also be on the opposite side of the road, one ditch or another ditch. There's some people so heavenly minded they aren't any earthly good. 
They want to shut themselves off in monasteries or spend their entire life in penance and prayers. And Jesus had something else in mind. He doesn't want you to be off on the ditch this way or that way. It's the middle of the road, if you might say. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt's kind of good on food, isn't it? (laughs) It's no good when it doesn't have any salt for taste. And so is the world when God doesn't have followers in it. And it follows in verse 16 with, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We can't shut ourselves away from people. We shouldn't. We need to associate with others so they can be witnesses for our Heavenly Father. Now, if you think about Saul, Saul wanted to kill David. His reason was he thought he would lose what he had here, his throne, his respect. His respect. But David, before he became king and messed up, he did what was right in God's eyes. David was submissive even to Saul, yet Saul still hated him. Likewise, people get upset and angry when our eyes are on the world. Well, if you think about the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, all those leaders were about the here and now. We look in John, it says, They answered and said unto him, that would be Jesus, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. They were afraid of losing their here and now, their power, authority, and wealth. They couldn't think about the world to come. Are we thinking about the world to come, or are we settling for the here and now? We have another example of their focus. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered to counsel and said, What will we do? For this man, Jesus, works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone's going to believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. It's evident where their hearts were. It was on their power and their authority. Never once did they say, Jesus is a bad guy. He does such terrible things. Never heard that because he never did do anything bad. He never harmed anybody. He only helped and healed. Yet they were willing to harm, to even kill the totally innocent one, somebody they knew had done nothing wrong. Their concern was their comfort, their power, and their authority. And when our mindset is not on heaven and the kingdom to come, but on the temporary, we are all capable of doing terrible things. They wanted to eliminate Jesus, and history is going to repeat itself. Revelation 13 describes two different beasts who make war and destroy God's people, who do, God's people who won't worship like they want everybody to do. And the saints have done nothing to hurt other people. But let's go back to that meeting now they were having. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation should perish. And then from that day on, they plotted to put him, Jesus, to death. Now picture this in the meeting. Caiaphas says, are you guys dumb? We got to kill this man. What's the matter with you, you stupid? We got to get rid of him. He, he actually prophesied and didn't know it. They hated Jesus. And afterwards, they hated the disciples. And Jesus had said it was going to happen, that when he was hated, the disciples would be hated too. That's the way it is all the way to the very end of the world. If you're faithful to the word of God, you will be hated by the world. You might even be hated by your family. 
maybe even at the church you go to. I don't know. He said, I've given you the word and the world will hate you. Things are going to get worse. But those people in that meeting thought they were doing God a service. The institution, the church that God created and established, they thought was in danger. You know, like the Lord couldn't take care of it. So they killed the very one who set up the church. Imagine that, justifying killing the innocent son of God. But there will always be angry people who follow the devil. Now in Luke it says there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity. The sea and the waves roaring. Something is going on and the people will be angry. Men's hearts failing them for fear. The expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Apparently the people on earth will be realizing that it's just about all over with and things are not looking good. It's ending and they're going to be afraid. For the believers, this is going to be troublesome, but not like for the non-believers. Jesus tells the believers, look up for your redemption draws near. And in Matthew, lo, I am with you. How long? Always, even unto the end of the world. Those are both really comforting scriptures. And the difference between the two groups at the end, one thinking that everything's happening that's terrible and it's all about to end, and the other group very glad because it is ending. And they're looking forward to heaven. And they know that Jesus is going to be with them all the way. You understand now why people will hate us? The world's coming apart. It's in shambles. And they're looking at us and saying, we're saying, yay, it's almost over. It's going to be great. Jesus is coming. Well, you remember how afraid we all were when COVID hit? How the world reacted? I mean, it basically shut down. And that's only a small reaction. A teeny tiny slice, you might say, in the pie of how it's going to be when things really fall apart at the end. Just a little example of the future. But it gives you something to think about so we can prepare mentally. Sometimes the reaction is really worse than the problem itself. During COVID... A lot of people had to die alone. Now, that is an extreme reaction. They wouldn't even let close family members be with them. Uh, Many businesses closed. It wrecked a lot of the economy, and in many countries it really did. And a lot of businesses that were shut down were never able to open again. Many didn't want to come near anybody else, even to help or provide aid. It just let us know that this world is not our home, and we need to be looking forward to the world to come. Can you imagine wanting Jesus to be dead when he never harmed anyone? It shows the result of the extreme of this world being your home. We want to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. People in the world will be persecuted by people of the world. And when the time comes that God says we must separate from the things of the world, are we going to be willing to walk away or are we going to hold on and lose eternity? And Jesus says, these things I have spoken unto you, that you should not be made to stumble. They'll put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whosoever kills you will think he offers God's service. And these things will they do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. Think about that. The time will come when people are willing to kill folks because they're going to lose their, their world. I'm sure many leaders would never thought they could kill an innocent man who had never hurt anyone. Because they're living for this world and not the world to come, they could easily do it and think they were doing God's service. 
But our encouragement today is not to focus on this world, but the world to come. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. The world to come will last forever. And the Bible predicts, and its predictions always come true, that this world is going to end, to pass away. And we will too if we're connected to it. The bulk of our efforts are generally on things right now, instead of our focus being on what God wants us to focus on. We need to focus on the world to come. Colossians says, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Set your affections above and not on things of the earth. If we did that, if everybody did that, there wouldn't be any wars, there wouldn't be any fighting. James tells us the reason that we have wars and fighting is we're lusting after the things of the world. But to set our affections on things above, what does that mean? What does it look like? In the world above, we're going to be doing God's will, so we need to think about doing that now. But how do we know what it is? To do that, you need to read your Bible, you need to pray, and you need to study. That will help us realize what's okay to do, what's not okay to do. And for the most part, in the world today, there's really not too much distinction between Christians and the world. Generally, if the world says it, if the world says it's okay, it's not okay with God. So if God says put it on, we generally take it off. If He says take it off, we put it on. If God says don't eat it, we eat it. If God says don't touch it, we touch it. Most everything the world says is okay is not okay. It's generally the opposite. But the world has reasons for doing what they do. It might say that a certain food has been scientifically proven to be good. Who cares? If God says don't do it, don't do it. He made us. Our creator and designer knows what's best for his creation. You certainly won't eat, be eating bad food in heaven. The Bible lays it out for us. I mean, there might be some little things that are questionable or that we really don't have all the answers to, but I'd say about 99% we understand and we, we should obey. But don't worry about the 1% that you, you may not understand. But the Bible predicts it's going to get tough. The people of God and the people of the world are all going to have problems. Everybody's going to have problems. The difference between the two groups is how do we deal with our problems and who are we going to turn to for help? Think about Job. If his focus had been on this world, he would have done just what his wife said. Remember? Curse God and die. But his focus was on the world to come. And Jesus promises it's going to be bad right before the very end. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world, until this time, no, nor ever shall be. That's going to happen. Can you imagine being alive when it's worse than it's ever been? If your affections are on your stuff, how's it going to play out in your life? It's something do we need to think about and consider. What if tomorrow it all falls apart? What if there's earthquakes, destruction, no stores to purchase food, or maybe I should say no food in the stores to purchase, uh, disease, death everywhere, no banks, or your money's all gone, everybody wants to kill you, you're hated because you go to that church that worships on the seventh day. The Bible says it's going to be terrible. It's prophesied, and it will happen. But Jesus says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the face, 
knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I like that line. The same afflictions we're going to be going through, the worldly folks are going to be going through too. The problems are going to be coming on everybody. And to me, that's another verse that supports the fact that there is no rapture. We're all going to be going through it together. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You may suffer for a little while, but then Jesus is going to make it great. In the world to come, not here though, but right now, think about this. Right now maybe probably is as good as it's ever going to get for us. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe you got a little health problem or something, but mostly it's as good as it's going to get. Now, even if you became a millionaire or a billionaire, that's got its own set of problems. Then you're going to wonder about, do people like me because I'm me or do they like me for my money? But anyway, in this world, we're always going to have problems. So focus on the world to come. This world's messed up. When you're young, you work hard to get things because you're healthy and you can work. And then when you're old, you ought to be able to enjoy it. But many have lost their health by the way they eat, and they can't. But God allowed that so we wouldn't set our affections on this world, but on the world to come. This world is sick. No matter how much money you have, what do you always want? More. We always do. But heaven is different. Time will be no more. We don't have to worry about rest. We don't have to worry about night. Everything will be good, actually great. Our problems will be gone. There'll be no sickness, disease, or death. But if this world's our priority, we will find our hearts are afraid for what's going on. Some way will react in ways you thought would not be possible. During the past three years of the plague, we saw a lot of things we didn't think were possible. But we want to focus on God's kingdom and reset our focus. But the devil knows that this earth is where we live, and that's all we physically see, so he tempts us with the glamour and the glitz that's down here. And he tried to tempt Jesus, too. thought this was really interesting. Again, the devil took him up on an exceeding high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, all these things will I give you. Of course, Jesus owned it all anyway, but if you will just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Well, you think about what's going on here. Satan knows how we humans are, so he tried to get Jesus to fall in his human form. But Jesus said no. And the reason why, he had his thoughts on us and the world to come. We need to have that same attitude. Listen to this next verse. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason he was able to endure Satan's temptations and also go to the cross was the fact he was looking forward to the joy before him, the joy of the coming kingdom. He knew about heaven. He knew about the new Jerusalem to come. He knew about all of the individuals, hopefully all of us, who will choose to live for him and be there. Now let's look at the New Testament story of Joseph of Arimathea. 
Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision. That was the decision of the scribes and Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for what? Yeah, the kingdom of God. That's what he was looking forward to. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of a rock where no one had ever lain before. And that day was the preparation and the Sabbath drew on. Well, when Jesus died, the disciples' hopes were just crushed. Their hopes were gone. They were afraid to to show themselves as followers of Jesus because they knew everybody hated him and them too. But they desired to give Jesus a proper proper burial, but they had no way to do it. But Joseph of Arimathea and also Nicodemus were both members of the Sanhedrin. But when they had meetings, they had not shown any open support for Jesus as they wanted to protect him as long as possible but by their influence on the council. But now that he was dead, they used their wealth and influence with Pilate to give Jesus an honorable barrier, burial. Now, if our love for this world is greater than our love for the world to come, we're going to be sorely disappointed, and very soon. Since the Bible covers humanity from beginning to end, we see a worldly mindset has been here from the beginning, and it's going to be here till the end. There's a reason that the faithful have been able to stay faithful, because it's their focus. So let's look at the faith part of the faith chapter in Hebrews 11. Okay, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And as he went out, not knowing where he was going. But by faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. With Abraham, it wasn't about Canaan that God was going to give him, the land here and now. It was about the world to come. The problem now is that everything seems to be about the here and now, and not about the world to come. You know, think about even in the fight going on in Israel right now. Even if all the terrorists were gone, just simply disappeared, they'd still have problems because we're all still argumentative, we're all still sick, we're all still divorcing, we're all still hating each other, we're all still dying. Our hearts are not wanting to do God's will. But Hebrews also tells us, talking about all those people, they all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them. They had faith. They embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things will plainly declare they seek a homeland. Some other versions say a country, you know, heavenly home. These were Old Testament individuals that kept their mind on the heavenly country, their heavenly homeland. Because they knew this earth was going away. They knew that this world, even at its best, was not what they wanted. They realized we're mortal. This place is futile. It's transient. It's not going to last forever. And as Solomon said, it's all, remember what the word he used? Vanity. It's all vanity. If we can truly wrap our minds around that, our lives will be different. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. 
Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The future is, I mean, the, the feeling is mutual. God calls these people his people. That's what we want to be, his people. And they call him their God. One of my favorite scriptures is this next one from Isaiah. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And this one talks about Moses. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, for he looked to the reward. And others, it doesn't mention any names, because there's so many. The others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourging, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Well, all of God's children are going to receive the gift of eternal life, the promise, and heaven all at the same time. God lays it out for us. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Well, why would he say such a thing? Because if you're having the best day of your life and you're at your peak, it's only going to get worse from there. That's truth in this world. But in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. You know, because one day, if you have a new home here, one day it's going to need maintenance. One day it's going to fall down. Our new cars, they're going to rust. They're going to fall apart and end up where? The junkyard. Our money will be all gone. One day, every single thing in this world is going to burn up. So remember, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God's appealing to us, to you and to me, to have our goals in heaven. We need to think about heaven when we're having our best day. And we, think we need to think about heaven when we're having our worst day. Be encouraged, because if you're thinking about heaven now, you'll probably end up there. God wants us to set our goals there. But we need to think, where are my goals? Where is my treasure? Is it in the world to come? It's something very important to contemplate, because whenever things get bad, know that Jesus has something better planned for us. And as they say, keep your eyes on the prize, because something better is coming. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we could come and worship you. And we pray that you'll bless us as we leave this place. Help us to remember that as we walk out these doors, we're entering the mission field. And we pray that you will go with us and help us always to remember that something's better is coming. We look forward to your soon coming and we can be in heaven with you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.